Welcome to Adulting on the Spectrum. In this podcast, we want to highlight the real voices of autistic adults, not just inspirational stories, but people like us talking about their day-to-day life. Basically, we want to give a voice to a variety of autistic people. I'm Eileen Lamb, an autistic author and photographer, and I co-host this podcast with Andrew Camero. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Eileen. I'm Andrew Camero, autistic entrepreneur, founder of the Neurodiversity Index. Today, our guest is Alex Estrella, um, AA, Eileen's favorite acronym uh, for short. And then Alex is a special education, special educator and filmmaker from Dana Point, California. Through his work in both fields, he is passionate about giving back to the community that helped him become the individual he is today. Outside of his work, Alex enjoys spending time with his family and friends. He is always striving to learn and grow each and every day. Welcome, Alex. Thank you for having me. So we like to start off our podcast. We ask each guest how they'd like to be identified. And we don't mean pronouns, although you're welcome to share those as well. Uh, we mean a person with autism on the spectrum, um, autistic, I don't give a shit is probably our most common answer. I don't think we've gone through and pulled them. I, I don't think that's verbatim, but I think it's no preferences probably. I, I don't care. Also, is it is it okay to swear on this podcast or is it like... Yes, it's adulting okay. on the spectrum. Okay, yeah, yeah, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't give a shit what people call me, like, you know, that's... But yeah, like, uh, whatever people want to call me, like, you know, I, I'm pretty thick-skinned and like, uh, you know, we're all human at the end of the day, so I don't really have a preference. <laughs> awesome. So, Alex, we like to also ask our guests uh, when they were diagnosed and you've you know, what the process was like. Uh, you were diagnosed uh, very young. You were two, I believe. Um, so I assume you don't remember much about your assessment, uh, but uh, what do you do you know about your, your diagnosis and when did you learn about it from your parents and all of that? Yeah, so I was two years old when I was diagnosed um, up in LA. Um, I mean, obviously, I don't remember this, but my specifically my mom has kind of relayed like what that process was like. And um, uh, the basically the neurologist who diagnosed me at the time um, said that, you know, he's high functioning. Alex is high functioning, but he really won't be able to um, make friends in school and probably won't get past like high school education. Um, and, you know, that really just kind of through my mom, both my parents for a whirlwind. And um, so right away from that diagnosis, they enrolled me in ABA services here in uh, Orange County, California. And um, so from ages two to seven, I had uh, pretty intense like ABA therapy. And um, in hindsight, and at the time, my mom, you know, made me believe I was five years old, four years old, whatever. So at the time, I just thought it was like babysitters that were, you know, coming over to like play with me. And because that's what it felt like at the time. Um, but, you know, in reality, they were like keeping track of data and working on, you know, goals to strengthen my motor skills, my social skills, call it basic, you know, uh, quality of life skills. And um, I feel like that had a tremendous impact on me. I didn't really realize it until later in life, not even until about like, you know, um, early adulthood, like as I turned 20 um, and, you know, while I was getting my undergrad that how pivotal, you know, that ABA experience had on me. 
Um, and so I'm super grateful for all the therapists who I can't really remember, but, um, you know, all the ones who worked with me and especially my parents for enrolling me in that and, um, you know, long and, and to bring it back full circle. Uh, I think it was because of those services that, you know, I was able to get my undergraduate in two majors at UC Santa Barbara. And then I just graduated with my master's at, in special education at Vanderbilt in Nashville. So, um, yeah, uh, just, and that's kind of like the whole, my whole thing is just defying the odds, defying the limits because, and overcoming because, you know, I think if you set your mind to it and you have the right supports around you, it's, uh, you know, anything like that is possible. Now, question for you. If your parents had never told you that you were autistic, and let's go with that you never found out, would you always think that you had babysitters? Like, looking back, like, can you, I mean, now that you've gone to school for special education, um, you know, you're working to be an RBT or a BCBA, do you, do you re like, it, could you really tell the difference or like, like, do you think you were being tortured or do you think they were playing with you and trying to help you? <laughs> uh, I feel like there's definitely like, there, there's definitely like a few negative experiences, but they were very like few and far between. I feel like for the most part, um, it was like, it was positive. And again, I, it, I was so young, so it's hard to recall sure. um, what exactly you know I, I knew we did a lot of arts and crafts and like you know trying new foods and doing stuff out in the community but in turn you know it's very I was very young so it's hard to pinpoint exactly like what I was doing but um I think even if I if my parents didn't tell me um I would have always I, I feel like I've always you know I used to I'm still really into trains and I was even more so into trains when I was younger and would like you know in public kind of like uh, stim I like rub my hands and like jump up and down so I feel like I probably would have eventually been like hey you know not nobody else is really doing that so I probably would have like figured it out and I'm sure they would have told me um you know if I asked but um I always felt you know but then that that's the thing I guess and that might be another but it's kind of going somewhere else but basically it's like you know I I when I realized like I was a little off at first, it kind of like bothered me and I kind of like was afraid of that. But now it's like, I, again, I'm, I'm embracing it, embracing you know, Like, like I think I said in the interview, it's like, there's no such thing in nor as normal. And, you know, because maybe I'm more into trains or like I stim in private, whatever, like, does it make me any lesser of a human? It's just who I, it makes me who I am. And I'm, you know, proud to, again, I'm, I'm proud to identify as being a person with autism or, um, you know, autistic human these days. Um, when did you come out as being autistic uh, and why? So, yeah, I uh, very recently, like I, I would tell like my, um, I, start, I started telling like close friends and um, I mean, my extended family has known since I was a kid. They were, you know, my mom kind of went to them for support when I was first diagnosed, but I started telling like my close friends and kind of inner circle, if you will, um, just within the last couple of years. Um, and then it was just about, I don't know, a little over a month ago that I, I made an Instagram post. It was right when I graduated Vanderbilt with my master's in special education. I knew I kind of wanted to um, make it public at some point. I was like, oh, this feels right. Like, you know, I, I wanted to post about my graduation 
in any way so I was like you know it just feels like it's kind of come full circle that I was receiving you know ABA services special ed services now I'm graduating with a master's in it so I feel like what time what better time to like you know share my story than now and um yeah it was just really it was a really positive reception from my I, I didn't really know I knew I wanted to do it and honestly like didn't give too much of a shit about like what the reaction was I hope it was positive was going to be positive and it was like overwhelmingly positive so I again I was like super thankful for I am thankful for all my friends and people even people I don't know that well who like commented or messaged me individually saying like how you know it, they were so stoked that I like was able to be public about it and um yeah so it's very recent and it's still kind of weird being open about it uh not like but it's just like you know because I haven't talked about it to so many people for so long I've been private about it so just kind of topic talking about it openly is still kind of a new concept but you know it's it's nice because I don't feel like I'm holding anything back you know it's again it's it's part of who I am and I'm proud of it so yeah was there any negative uh comments about you uh being a bcba uh well you're not a bcba yet but about uh, studying to be a bcba and being in the aba field uh, as an autistic person autistic purpose you know uh, aba is uh is controversial um i think you are our first guest uh who has received aba and then also decided to uh, go into the field um what do you think about all the the controversy um around uh, aba yeah, I mean, I definitely don't think it's for everybody, even though, yeah, I'm studying to become a BCBA and ABA po benefited me positively as a child. I don't think um, it's for everyone. I think, you know, um, there's like other options. There's like play therapy. Um, there's, you know, the documentary I'm doing, people are finding uh, ther therapy through acting and being in theater. Um I think, you know, it's kind of, I, I kind of feel like it's kind of similar to, um, you know, how do you want to be identified with, uh, as a person with autism, it's kind of like how, um, how do you want to go about, you know, therapy as a person with autism, do you want to do the ABA route, do you want to do um, something more unconventional, like play therapy, or like sense, you know, music therapy, or mindfulness, Um I think, and obviously, you know, when you're a kid, you can't make that decision if you're like two or three years old. But I think, um, you know, it's cool that like we're getting to a space where like parents are having more options about how they want to proceed. And, you know, maybe they try, maybe people will try ABA therapy for a year or less and don't, I, I know families who have tried ABA and just don't really vibe with it, don't like the structure and the DTT and stuff. And um, I think I totally get that, you know, everyone has their own perspective and preferences and needs. So it may be something for the, uh, you know, music therapy might be might be more beneficial for a kiddo than traditional ABA and um, a clinic. And that's totally fine. Um, again, for me, ABA was really positive and um, OT, you know, I also received OT services as well. And that's what I'm trained in and I know how to do well. And um, I'm going to, you know, bring that passion to my work and stuff, but I know it's not for everybody. And, you know, through some of my classes at Vanderbilt, we talked about, you know, the, obviously we're all trying to, you know, training to become BCBAs. 
so we have a, a biased perspective but you know trying to keep an open mind like hey it's not for everybody and if people don't vibe with it then that's totally fine there's other options out there as well that are hopefully you know just as beneficial to their child um so yeah that's my my perspective on it well and also i think not only there are other options but you can also speak up so for for context, my two uh, sons are on the spectrum. Uh, both have had ABA therapy. One of them is uh, high functioning, and the other is uh, very severe, uh, like nonverbal. He's ten years old. You know, self uh, uh, self injurious behavior, spica, elopement. I mean, all all of it. And uh, he's been in ABA for um, eight years now, uh, since he was two. And I don't know what I would have done without ABA. Uh, it was. It's, you know, he's still like uh, behind, uh, obviously, uh, his autism is severe, but they've taught him so much, you know, like AAC uh, is really the main thing, self-care skills. Um, but there were a couple of times when I didn't like what they were doing, like they prevented Charlie, is his name, from lining up his food before eating it. And, you know, he's a picky eater. And I was like, you know what, as long as he eats it, just let him, you know? And I said something and they didn't prevent that anymore. So I I also think that, you know, it's not just that parents can find something else. Like you can speak up and change ABA to what you like, you know. Um, sometimes it's just a small change. And yeah, maybe for some people, the entire uh, therapy is not a right fit. But I think that often little adjustments to uh, the therapy uh, would be enough to make your parents comfortable with with ABA. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that's something we learned through uh, my education at Vanderbilt is, you know, as traditional ABA kind of like more was more structured and like, oh, you can't line stuff up or you have to make eye contact or you have to use manners like please and thank you. And then we're like, you know, as the field's getting more advanced and, you know, wider and we're learning more, it's like, you know, the pick your battles, like, is that really, you know, it's like, are you going to focus on something like eye contact, whereas you could focus on like, finding an alternative behavior to like, you know, like SIB or something. Um, yeah, I just think, I think, in, and I think in general, you know, parents would probably prefer that too. It's like, there's, you know, it, you, um, you just got to pick your battles, I think. And we're learning as you know, the field, again, as the field gets more advanced, that there's really, you know, eye contact and manners will just kind of come. And if they don't, that's fine. It's not, you know, really detrimental to it's, it's not, um, or, or yeah, like lining stuff up. That's not like a behavior that's like going to be a long lasting, like detrimental, have a long lasting detrimental impact. Um, so yeah, I think it, I think it's cool that, um, you know, it's like, we're like, okay, let's focus on like the real, you know the what really matters instead of like this kind of you know bullshit like eye contact or manners or yeah holding the door open and whatnot so yeah so when you're going to school or studying to be a bcba if you could talk a bit like do they teach that um you know what what do they teach and but also like if you could talk a, a little bit more about I mean, it's not that easy to get a license to start torturing little kids, right? You have to, sarcasm, uh, sorry, 
But no, um, no, it all serious. It's a lot of work and it's a hard exam. You need lots of experience hours and training, and it's not something that is done, you know, just lightly or easily, right? While something like I assume like other, you know, uh, I think I would say like non-science-based therapies can be done by anyone, right? You know, this is done by somebody who has many hours of experience learning under somebody and master's degree. Um, although I think the master's degree can be in anything now. I think they changed that as long as you can pass the test. So um, maybe I'll become one, Eileen. I'll, uh, I'll go take my BCBA test with a, my master's in finance. Um, but anyway. So yeah, if you could tell us just a little bit more about like the process of becoming an RBT, like what you're studying, like what you're learning and just like more, I mean, maybe there's others who want to help, but I, I don't think we've really had someone really talk about that before. Have we, Eileen? I don't think so. Yeah, so um, being an RBT, so um, just to give a little context, like when I graduated from my undergrad at UC Santa Barbara, um, I was initially going to go into film, but, you know, prices in Los Angeles were really expensive. And so I moved back home and my mom, I was looking for a job and my mom was like, you know, since you're becoming more comfortable in your own skin, being, you know, an adult with autism, why don't you try to find, um, you know, a job as like a behavior technician. And so I gave it a shot, um, got the job. And I did that for two years prior to um, starting my master's at Vanderbilt. And I just loved it. I mean, I think an important thing that I learned in the field, and then we also emphasized um, in my classrooms at Vanderbilt, excuse me, is, um, you know, just building a rapport, not only with the child, but also with the family, because if there, you know, if there's not that level of trust, then it's really hard to, um, you know, carry out goals, to get the participation of not only the child, but the family. Um, because if you think about it, you know, as a behavior technician or a BCBA, you're only at the clinic, we're or at the home for two or three hours with a kid. And, you know, afterwards, they're, they're spending a majority of their time like at school, or mostly, you know, mo majority of the time with their parents at home. So if you don't have that, like, you know, what we call buy in from like the parents or the guardians, then a lot of those goals just kind of go to waste, they go by the wayside, right? It's like, they're not, if you don't have that trust, they're going to be like, I'll fuck that shit I'm not gonna you know like they can work on that while they're here but I'm not gonna do it on my own time you know but when you do have that buy-in and you do have that trust which again I think establishing a rapport finding those commonalities if there's like if you're dealing with different cultures or different you know um religions whatnot you know kind of like being mindful of that and catering to those needs um that can go a really long way in them being willing and attempting to implement some of those, you know, ABA strategies on their own time, you know, while we're not there with them, while they have a bulk of the time with their child. And I, I think those, that's what I really tried to emphasize myself when I was a behavior technician. Well, again, when I go back into the field, because I think, you know, those leads to the best outcomes and it leads to a more, it just overall leads to a more positive environment. You know, when you're, when they're happy to see you and you're happy to see them and, you know, like with the kiddos as well, um, I think it makes just like the world of a difference. And and I find in those instances as well, when you have that buy-in from the family um, and the child, 
that you know it makes those breakthrough moments like as i like to call them when it's like they're able when you're working on a painting sequence and they're able to like brush their teeth for the first time independently or they're able to tie their shoes independently for the first time like it makes those breakthrough moments so much more like rewarding because it's not just like oh cool it's like whoa my god you know we've been working on this for so long and the family's stoked and i'm stoked and the kid is stoked and um that's just yeah it's just such a rewarding i i think it's so important to establish that rapport and establish that trust um because it makes the job more fulfilling it makes like reaching those goals more fulfilling and you know it um i think one of the most important things for me is um by being you know passionate about it and passionate about each kid i work with and tailoring you know um their individual to their individual strengths and needs um it just takes me out of my own head it takes me out of my own day-to-day -day issues or you know uh depressions or whatnot it makes me focus on the here and now and what I can do to better improve the life of this child that I'm working with. So, yeah. So what would you do if uh, you were not an RBT? You mentioned mentioned that you are into um, filmmaking, uh, is that correct? Right, right. Yeah, um, I, if I wasn't an RBT, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say like, I'm kind of in the mindset that everything happens for a reason. I think it was like meant to be that I didn't go to LA, that I didn't go straight from graduating at UC Santa Barbara and going into film and having this job. Um, because yeah, it it, uh, it changed my life. Like uh, it's taught me about patience. It's taught me how to like want to act in service to the community that, you know, helped me out when I was a child. Um, it's hard to say. It's really hard to say. I don't know if it, you know, what it would have looked like. Um, but I, I'm just grateful. I, I know what did happen and I know I'm, I'm super grateful for it. Um, and yeah, I don't think I would have the same level of comfort. I, I wouldn't be here talking about it as openly as I am now. I think if I hadn't have taken that position as an RBT and met the kids and met the families I did who you know, even though I haven't worked with them for over two years, have had like a profound impact in my life. And I'm very grateful for that. If you had to pick one, do you have, are they both, let's say, special interests? Do you have like, is one because you never think you'll be able to make a living in film? So it's kind of like you need a real job or, you know, is, are they both, you know, equally passionate for you? And could you tell us more about Blue Star Productions? Yeah, so so they actually are like equally as passionate for me. Um, Blue Star Productions, my production company, I started um, a little under a year ago. Um, the goal is to empower filmmakers with disabilities, um, and whether that be their you know documentary filmmakers or um, you know uh, narrative filmmakers or music video creators. We just want to create a safe space where they are able to collaborate with each other, where they're able to feel safe and not like they're being taken advantage of and they're developing their skills. Um, and right now we're just kind of promoting through social media and outreach programs, but eventually we'd love to like finance the films of these like um, disabled creators. Um, but that's, and that's kind of, I guess, uh, to answer the other part of the question, like why I'm passionate about both is because, you know, I want to, on one hand, like act in service to the um, community, you know, the disability community, 
um, which I'm doing right now through uh, ABA, but it, this would be kind of like the like career, the dream or kind of a, mm -hmm. a huge goal for me is to have this production company take off so I can kind of like carve out my own niche, I guess you could say, and, you know, meld my, um, or excuse me, mesh my passion for film and, you know, the disability, disability community together to create an environment that's like both, you know, where people can carry out their passions and um, in film. And then also, you know, hopefully it's therapeutic for them as well. And again, it might not be the traditional like ABA approach, um, but if it's able to, you know, they're able to learn from it and grow from it, um, much like I'm trying to do myself um, through everyday, you know, day-to-day -day stuff, um, I think that would be an accomplishment. And I, I think I know, I know we're going to get there. Or I'll, I'll get there. It just might be, take some time, but um, yeah. Um, very, I'm very passionate about both of them. And did you mention you were working on a documentary earlier? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually right now working on a documentary about a um, theater in Carlsbad, California that employs, um, er, employs um, neurodivergent actors who have performed in a theatrical adaptation of the children's book, Stella Luna. And um, they actually went on tour to 10 different schools around the San Diego area and um, performed in front of different elementary school children. And um, it was an amazing thing to witness. Um, and, you know, whereas probably like 50 years ago, a lot of these actors would have been in like um, institution or just confined to like a day program. Um, they're getting paid, they're finding purpose, they're finding belonging, mingling with each other. I mean, it kind of, um, you know, is representative of like what I want, you know, to do with my Blue Star Productions is like create a safe space where all these creators who are, you know, passionate about the same thing um, are, you know, just want to come together and just be human, you know, like, and find, uh, find a purpose. And that's what these actors did through um, their theatrical performances. Um, they found a purpose, they found belonging, they, uh, you know, found a sense of independence. And it was so cool to see just like the, you know, expressions of joy that were on their faces, they're performing. And even aside from like being behind the camera, just um, like getting to know them, getting to build a rapport with them. And realizing that you know uh much like the big theme uh, of the film is like that we're not all that different you know um and these actors just have their own set of needs and preferences that might be a little different or might be a little you know more than um you know the rest uh, neurotypical people but that doesn't make them any lesser human beings and they're very they're some of the most loyal people that I've come to know and are very so passionate about acting and about um, being on stage. And they were and they were stoked that we had the cameras there documenting it and we're just so open to um, to sharing their experiences. So it's super grateful. I mean, it brings me just a smile to talk about it because I'm so excited for it to be completed and to, you know, get these actors the recognition they deserve. So yeah. That is such a cool project. I love that. <laughs> I hope it comes to uh, to life for you that you, uh, your your dream comes true. Um, you should uh, listen to one of the uh, the guests 
uh, we had a few weeks ago. Um, his name is uh, Scott, and he's a filmmaker in Hollywood who has uh, autism. Uh, Scott Steindorf is his name. Um, I think you would uh, you would really like his uh, his episode. I guess uh, where can people find you online? I know you you mentioned uh, earlier that. Uh, you are on social media but is that like private or do you have like an advocate a page where you talk about autism um just tell people where they can find you or not yeah no i so i have a my film account is uh at blue star productions blu star productions um on instagram and um we have our, our website uh same spelling bluestarproductions.com um or if you just want to chat with me individually outside of filmmaking about ABA or about you know anything in general just shoot the shit um I have my own Instagram alex.astrella a-s-t-r-e-l-l-a um and yeah um again it's I I don't have a like what you mentioned I don't really have a um platform yet where I talk about um I I would love to start my own podcast like at some point soon about like talking to other creators who are um neurodivergent or um you know other into any individuals who are neurodivergent but um I, since I'm so I, again it's been like a little over a month that I've been like you know public about it so I'm still um I, I it's very exciting but I'm still kind of figuring out like what I want to use my voice for and I, but I, it, it's an exciting opportunity for me well, for what it's worth, as someone who's, I guess, an influencer uh, with a big platform on social media, I think your story is really uh, incredible. And, uh, you know, you, you have you have it all. I mean, you, you were diagnosed uh, as a child. So you had that entire experience of, you know, going through through therapy, which, you know, a lot of us um, who were diagnosed as adults, we, we don't have. And now you're in ABA as an adult. And then you have that side project with the, you know, filmmaking and uh, hiring neurodivergent people, which I think is also great. So, I mean, if I can tell you anything is uh, go for it. And uh, I think, uh, you know, you'd be surprised by uh, by the response. Thank you. Thank you. That, um, yeah, I know. It's just it's a determination. I, I just wake up, I, I wake up every day, super fortunate for where I'm at. And, um, you know, I'm just trying to, I know it's cliche nowadays, but just manifest that energy towards like achieving my goals and um, always climbing the mountain. And I think, you know, hopefully I'll get there soon enough, but thank you. Yeah, of course. So to, uh, to wrap this up, we like to ask our guests some uh, quick fire questions. Uh, yeah. So you Let's just tell it. me the first thing that comes to your mind. What's, you want me to uh, do it, Eileen, or you got it? I I got it. Uh, she's like she's like, why do you change things on me? It's been <laughs> the same forever. Yeah. So, uh, who is your favorite filmmaker? Oh, favorite filmmaker. Um, probably all time Francis Ford Coppola. The Godfather is my favorite film. I love Apocalypse Now. He's yeah, I, I think he's kind of in a league of his own. Who's your favorite uh, autism representation in a TV show or in a movie? Oh, favorite autism. Huh, that's interesting. I don't know if I know. I. It's not, I mean, I, I don't honestly can't think of one that comes to mind about autism representation. Like I know there's The Good Doctor and I've watched that and I'm not a really big fan of that, but 
I will say, um, you know, that uh, I Breaking Bad is one of my favorite shows and it's not autism, but I believe um, Walter's son has CP. And I think that was a really cool um, representation of, um, you know, an actor with a disability getting being an amazing actor and having um, the opportunity to be in that role. So that'd be my answer for that. Who is your favorite actor? Oh, favorite actor. Um, probably, I, I mean, I'm not so much a fan of his stuff in real, like as a, as a person, as a person, I don't know if I would like get along with him, but uh, I think Daniel Day-Lewis, every time he's in a role, just like, I'm just blown away um, in, in Lincoln and in Phantom Thread, among other films, like he just a stellar actor and really just immerses you in every role he's in. So, yeah. Favorite food? Oh, Italian for sure. I'm my family's from Sicily. I could eat pasta every day of the week. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> favorite color? Uh, green. Green's been my favorite color for a while. Nice. And that was it for us. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a blast talking with you. Yeah, no, I'm I'm grateful again, fortunate to have the opportunity. And so yeah, thank you, Eileen and Andrew. I've really enjoyed coming on and um talking with you guys. Yeah, no, thank you for coming on. Really enjoyed having you.